0: to the Irish NFL show, it's St. Patrick's Day, happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody watching. Gonna welcome in first of all Colin. Colin Slaunchon man. Happy St. Mancha. Patrick's
1: Day. How's it going? Mm. It's mm. a it's a great it's a great day. It's a great day.
0: It's a very good day. We've got Brian as well from Dublin. Hello Brian. Happy St. Patrick's Day.
2: Happy St. Patrick's Day, guys. So, in honour of St. Patrick's Day, I decided to go with a bit of blue and red for the New York Giants.
0: <laughs> of course. I thought you were going to say something else there. All good, <laughs> no, all good. I
2: knew you thought that. No, I wasn't going down that road.
0: Uh, ironically, I was going to welcome in Mark, but Mark's disappeared. <laughs> Before we bring him in, just to make everybody aware, big guest today. But first off, this is six o'clock in Ireland, so if anything does happen between six o'clock and ten o'clock, we're sorry, but, you know. It's grand, It's Grant. Patrick, St. Patrick's Day. Welcome in to Ireland's own, I guess, now Paul Pops, Paul, welcome in, man. Welcome
3: in. This is great. Now, i got to warn you guys, it's 2 o'clock in New York. I'm usually into my cups already, so I've already delayed my drinking for an hour. I might be a little faulty, but <laughs> so let's go. I'm ready.
0: It's all good. It's, 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 Honestly, Paul, it's a pleasure to have you all, man, on the day that it is St. Patrick's Day. We had you on for the Super Bowl episode, and honestly, I felt horrible because we talked for 20 minutes, and I felt like, when we originally talked for the first time, we could have talked for two or three hours under a fire somewhere, in Tipperary somewhere. So I apologize. You have your moment down at the biggest day of the year in Ireland. It's, it's your show. Uh, you're very welcome on.
3: I, I think we could have done bang I think he, J.J. Watt is unavailable. He's a big man. but maybe next year we'll get J.J. on the show. Let's let's get J.J. Watt on the show, Colin. It sounds good, doesn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. JJ appears to like the sunny climate. If uh, so, it might be difficult to to get him to appear. Uh, hopefully, we're back in person during this uh, in in Dublin. But you're, you'd be welcome to join us uh, well, for that. You know,
3: JJ is pretty connected to, to Dublin and Guinness. He's been there twice. About I would say about five years ago, four years ago. Um, Guinness. Uh, he and I think two of his brothers and two of his high school friends. After the season, they took a ten day trip around Ireland. And he actually uh, sent me a note. We know each other from his appearance on the Dan Patrick show. And he goes, My, we want to get a tour of Guinness. I was wondering, if you, can you get us the insider tour? I'm like, well, you're J.J. Watt. They'll probably bend over backwards for you. And we called over to some people over at Guinness. And they brought J.J. Watt in and his brothers and a couple of his friends. And not only did they do that, they made a special 99 beer for him. They made a label. And he didn't know it was coming, and I didn't know it was coming, but they said they had a special treat for him. So he gets up to this tasting room where I think if you've been to the Guinness storehouse, they teach you how to pour a proper pint. And after doing that, they rolled out like 12-pack of special J.J. Watt logoed Guinness beer. And he, he sent me a note. He goes, I almost got emotional. He goes, I, you know playing in the NFL is something he thought he'd do, but being at Guinness with his brothers and his high school pals and having a beer with his name on it, he still has them. He drank a few, but he saved them, and he's a big Guinness fan.
2: Paul, Paul we had Alex Mack on here uh, on the show a number of months ago, and his wife is actually from Dublin, and he also touched on the special treatment he had when he went to, around a few distilleries and obviously the Guinness factory as well. So it must be a common team for NFL players coming, coming over to Ireland. Well,
3: I think, you know, I know we're going to talk football, but um,
2: I, I've been to Ireland about four times, and...
3: All four times I went with different type, different people and one of the things they all want to do is go to the Guinness Brewery, the Guinness Storehouse. And I think if you live in Ireland, you take it for granted. It'd be like the Statue of Liberty in New York or whatever, Wrigley Field in Chicago, where I'm from, you take for granted when it's right down the street from you. But people in America, it's really a destination and it's something you kind of want to, especially if you're a beer drinker, you want to check it off your list. And it really doesn't disappoint. And I'm sure you guys have been there before. But the first time I went to Guinness and to go upstairs to the Gravity Bar, which has the entire view of Dublin, and you kind of just sit there for an hour or two. It's not like you run upstairs, you look, and then you run back downstairs like a lot of tourist destinations. And I can remember just sitting at the Gravity Bar and I could see every piece of Dublin the different neighborhoods. And you could see the water, which you can't really see from some, certain areas of town. It, it's fantastic. And every time I go back there, it doesn't lose its luster.
4: You can you can see Croagh Park up in the North Pole, and you can see the Wicklow Mountains down in the South from it. But uh, you know, I think the two most uh, paid for tourist destinations in Ireland, like in, you have to pay an entrance fee to, is number one by a million miles is the Guinness Storehouse, mm-hmm. and number two is the Jameson Distillery. I don't want to say that that puts or casts aspersions on Ireland and the uh, the culture of alcohol, shall we say? But uh, you know, it, it's notable, shall we say? Well, you know, uh, we
3: bounced around last time. I Was in Ireland. Went to a place called Teeling. Teeling whiskey. I'm sure you guys know Teeling. I didn't really know much about it, and and I think when people go there, they learn there's more to it than just uh, those two things, Jameson and, and Guinness. And it's once you get there a few times and you learn more about Dublin and also getting out of Dublin. I, I went to Galway and I thought it was fantastic. The music and Galway and the seafood. Um, I didn't know much about Galway before I went there. I had heard of it. I knew it was on the west coast, but I really um, I just knew it was small, but it was, it was not as small as I thought, and the food was really good. I really enjoyed the seafood in Galway, but um, one of the things I thought about Galway that was special was there was, seemed to be a lot more music, a lot more places that had live music, and what's different about music in Ireland, again, I'm telling you guys stuff that you know, but maybe people here don't, is that there's not necessarily a stage for the band. The band may be four guys from the neighborhood who who take a booth and just start playing, and that's not what we're used to here in the, in the States with, with bands. Usually there's some type of stage or a setup and they plug in and got all this equipment. We were in Galway and we're just going to the, the pubs and you'd walk in and there'd be four people with, you know, different types of musical instruments just sitting at like a corner. Not really in some type of introduction. Like, are they even like hired to be here or did they just show up with their instruments? I love it.
0: Paul, I'm going to talk for every Northerner here. In a sense, have, have you ever been to Belfast or or, or the North at all? Uh, and secondly, for me, as somebody you know, from Northern Ireland or from the North in that sense, it's always the best night out I've ever had in Ireland. You're spot on. The best night out. Like just, you walk into any bar, you feel like you've been there for 10 years. It's fantastic.
3: Yeah, and, and uh, again, it's a good walking town. You don't have to take cabs everywhere. You can walk around. I haven't been to Northern Ireland yet. The other places I've been, um, I've been in a little talk called Ennis. We were just driving, and we stopped for the night, and it was cool. It was kind of like this medieval little downtown area, central village area. And then the other cool thing we did, we stopped for a night at a place called Dramolin Castle, which I I would guess is about an hour south of the Shannon Airport. And they had – it was unbelievable. It felt like a time machine. Dramolin Castle was – it felt like the 1800s. They had falconry. You know, most most, uh, places have like a spa and hot tubs. They had, you could go out with a falcon and learn how to do falconry, and then they had this golf course at the Dromoland Castle. And I'm a pretty average golfer, and that's that's stretching it. And they they asked me like, "Want to go out and golf?" I'm like, "This course is so beautiful. I would not ruin, you know, this country and this golf course with my golf game." And I actually passed because it was so beautiful. The flowers and the and the greens were just gorgeous. I'm like, "I'm not going to hack this up and then get on a plane and leave leave this course a disaster." But it was it was beautiful.
1: Oh, it's interesting. You're talking about Teelings and, and Guinness. I'm in Dublin 8 and, and Michael has been. Teelings is literally around the corner from me. And, and Guinness, uh, I can walk there in about oh, two, two and a bit minutes, I would say. So I'm, I'm right in the heart of that. But you not only were you in Guinness, I believe you've been to Kyos, which is a, a, a fabulous oh, yeah. watering hole in, in Dublin. Can you tell us a bit about your, your experiences in Kios?
3: Yeah, about three years ago, um, we were there for a thing at uh, Guinness called Metopia, and it was a s- small little event where it was open air chefs cooking over open fire, and it was like little stations with different foods, and then all, it was at the Guinness Open Gate area, which is the back of Guinness. It almost looks like a loading dock, and, it's, and you guys know this, but it's the Experimental Brewery of Guinness where they make all the new beers, try different things. I mean, one of them had like pine straw in it, the other had like sea salt, really great, and um, you spend two days at uh, at uh, well, and we're back. And um, so uh, we got to spend a couple days at Mitoopia. And one of the guys we were there with was Adam Richman. I think you guys know him. He hosts Man vs. Food back in the day. It's pretty well known. Anyone who's you know into food and the drink knows Adam Richman. And I know his show played in Ireland just the past couple of years. Man vs. Food. So afterwards, he goes, "You got to go to Kios." And I'd heard of it, but we didn't go there on my last trip. And it's it's kind of like this road, and you guys know it, where it comes around and it's not really, uh, it's pedestrian friendly, but it's not car friendly. And everyone just spills outside at happy hour and you know, all evening outside. And we're staying out there and the sun's up because it's you know summertime or springtime. And uh, Adam Richmond introduced me to this tall guy. And uh, his, his name was Niall. And I introduced myself and he's like, what do you do for a living? And. I tell him, and and I, I didn't even ask him what he did for a living. Kind of rude of me. But as we're standing there talking to this guy, Niall, he's really nice. He's, he's Irish, and he's asking me about different American sports and what I do for a living and blah, 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 blah. I noticed that there was just every once in a while a girl would walk up and ask to meet him or ask for a picture. And it was really – I know he's a good-looking guy. He's not that good-looking. It wasn't Cristiano Ronaldo here. And then I noticed there was a line of girls waiting to meet him. And every 10 seconds in our conversation, back. Like, Excuse me, Paul, one second. And he turned and take a picture. And I go, what the hell do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I, my name's Niall Breslin. I'm, I'm the host of the Irish Voice. And he goes, I used to be in a band. I used to be a, a, a rugby player, I think. And well, I, did, I had no idea who this guy was, of course. And, uh, but there was just a line of people to meet him. And it was really fun. We, we talked a lot about American sports and Irish sports. And we've kept in touch ever since. But I did not know that he was famous in Ireland at all when I met him. And he's good friends with Adam Richmond. Um, but I've never been so ignored by women in my entire life. And I've been ignored by a lot of women in a lot of countries. But when you stand next to Nile Breslin at Kios at 7 o'clock on a Friday,
2: you're a nobody. Nobody. Paul, when you were around for Super Bowl, you, you did mention potentially coming on for St. Patrick's Day, and it's great to have you. A day in which you, you see a significant new market every year. Any, any stories or any background info you want to tell us about how you tend to enjoy the experience in the okay, States? That's okay. Yeah.
3: Well, I grew up in the south side of Chicago. It's a very Irish area. Uh, my family is, um, one side of my family is completely Irish. My mom's last name is Carrie. Her uh, in- ancestors are Campbell, and uh, so they're, they're from uh, the county court. Um, I, I, it, Ireland, you know, St. Patrick's Day in Chicago is is an appointment. You don't even think about missing it. You really plan your whole week around it. If it's a Wednesday, if it's a Saturday, whatever it may be, uh, south side of Chicago, where I'm from, is a, is a heavy Irish community. And um, I also went to a Catholic high school, which was very high, heavy Irish. Um, we would leave school and, you know, I'm talking high school, and go down to the bars in Chicago and make an appointment to go down there. And, then, and even in college, you, you, you go to whatever Irish pub. But in Chicago, they, they have a thing in Chicago where the, the river, uh, there's a big, huge lake, Lake Michigan. And then this little river cuts through the heart of Chicago. And years ago, the mayor was named uh, Richard J. Daley. He was a very powerful mayor in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And he wanted to dye the river green. He wanted to dye actually the whole lake green. That's how much of a powerhouse this guy was. And then he got a hold of a, a former cop who's um, who worked also with a guy who was a plumber. He goes, there is a type of dye you could dye water with, but you need a lot of it. The mayor of Chicago had unlimited funds and unlimited power. And he decided to hire this cop. I think his name's Tommy Rowan. And uh, he goes, I want you to get a couple boats. And he was in charge of the police boating unit that like searched the waters for different crimes and so forth. And so I think it was 19, it was 55, 56 years ago, they dyed the little canal there green. They do it either the night before or the morning of St. Patrick's Day. And the sun's shining and it hits off the water and the water's not deep in this area. It's as green as your shirt. I mean, it is blisteringly green. And it's really fascinating because they do it in a matter of 30 minutes. They just dump the dye. Stir it around, and what you do on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, a lot of people is you just go over by the river, you grab a pint, you walk outside, open alcohol is legal for this one day of the year, and you just look at it. And it never really gets old because you you can't figure out how they do it. And the the cool thing about it is he's never given up the recipe, he's never told about what kind of dye you use for the river. And they did it this morning, they had it, they took it last year off, but it's uh, it can get pretty heavy in Chicago on St. Patrick's Day. What you want to do on St. Patrick's Day in Chicago, though, is around like eight, eight thirty, nine o'clock, call in the night. Get get started early, get done early, because the people who get a little sloppy go eight o'clock and later. And that's when you get in fights and get in trouble and people get injured.
4: It sounds a bit like St. Patrick's Day in Dublin to be honest. Right.
1: Uh,
4: very, very, very similar. Um, I love actually your story about Brezzi there, as he's known in in Ireland. He's he's done a few things. He's actually, written some mindfulness books for kids, and like a really interesting guy. But as Michael flicked up the picture of him, yeah, I don't think any of us want to stand beside him outside a pub where there's any women involved because we will just be trampled on. I think is probably the the technical term. I love hearing about St Patrick's Day in Chicago, but I seem to recall you might have mentioned before actually. You had some Patrick's Day in New York City uh, mm-hmm. before one time. You talk about not getting into fights, but you know sometimes it's uh, it's unavoidable. How's uh, Patrick's Day in New York compared to Chicago, Paul?
3: This is a warning story for you kids out there. Um, I was about 25 years old. I was in New York City. My first New York City uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. Everyone's into their pints. Everyone's having a good time. No one's getting hurt. And these firemen come walking in, and they're wearing their full fireman regalia, hats, everything. And, you know, there's some big, strong guys, New York City firemen. And we start playing pool with a couple of them. We decided to play for rounds of beer. And um, my friend and I, the more we drank, the better we got at pool, surprisingly. Usually it goes the other way, with, but, you know, uh, and I start just ripping off shots, ripping off shots. And the, the fireman next to me, he's probably about 6'4, about 250, I would say. I mean, he's a big, big guy. I'm about six foot tall, about 180. And I'm, you know, I got, you know, Beer in each hand, pool cue under the arm. And uh, after I beat him for the third time in a row, I took the rack, right? And I walked around the pool table, and I put the rack around his head, like over his head like a collar. I go, rack him. And he turns around, and he punches me from behind. And this hand goes like this. Boom. And I hit the deck, and I don't remember a thing, and there was a fight going on above me. I I got up, and I had a white T-shirt on under like a flannel shirt so i would but i had the flannel off there was actually step marks on my chest from where like people were fighting around me my friends were jumping in and you know i was just dropped and the lesson out there is whenever you run into a 6'4 250 pound fireman be nice to him don't give him an excuse after eight pints of whatever he's had to let out his frustrations on some little guy and uh that was real dumb i can't believe i did it i remember doing it and I thought it was a funny thing at the time. I thought he'd take it as a joke, and I got dropped. Dropped.
0: I, I couldn't imagine it happening here, to be honest. I think if it happened here, boys, we honestly, like, in a good way, we'd probably be in the cells for a night, to be honest. If, if it happened up here in the north, I'd be finished, but sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> a different story for a different day. Paul, I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, like, over here, and I don't know what these boys think, but for me, it's almost quite sad because I know last year, some had just wasn't really what it was here in Ireland, but, yeah, it almost hits you this year because it's like the second year, and you're like, "Oh man, I can't really do anything." What's it like in uh, in New York today? Obviously, you, you were working this morning on the Dan Patrick show. Right? Is it sort of chilled at the minute? I I I know you guys have opened up a bit a bit more, but we have nothing. Like we haven't got a bar open since what, boys? Christmas, Christmas Eve, twenty-four.
3: Wow, oh, um, Web
4: pubs um, have been closed since March the twelfth last year. They've yeah, really pretty closed. much.
3: It's very weird here because if you go back a year ago today. We were, um, I think it was about, that was about four or five days after the NCAA tournament got canceled. And I did not think the College Basketball in America, the NCAA tournament, was cancelable. It's a cash cow. It's one of the biggest events in American sports. It lasts three and a half weeks. And I was so naive at the time. I remember it was March 12th. And I was like, well, they'll they'll pause the tournament for a day or two or a couple days or push it back. I had no idea. I thought baseball would go on as scheduled. I was very naive about COVID. I think a lot of us were because we're wrapped up in our little sports world and we think sports will plow through anything. Now it feels kind of the opposite in America. It feels like we're a bit on the goal line. Every day in, in here, I just got uh, a bunch of emails from that they're moving up vaccination time periods. You know, And, and younger people are getting vaccinated faster. The, the, the supply of vaccinations, it, it seems like, a, I'm just talking for people in Connecticut where I live, it seems like it's readily available or becoming readily available for younger people. So in America, it does feel like everything's really close to opening up fully or, you know, not fully, but, you know, you're desperate for it. But the NCAA tournament is going on. It starts in a couple of days and everyone's been holding their breath because all these teams are in Indianapolis at different hotels and different facilities. And they're going to try to play it in a semi bubble in Indianapolis. And there's 64 teams, 68 teams. If you think about that you got 12 kids a team. you got the staff people. You're looking at 30 people uh, for 64 teams. What are the odds something doesn't happen? And you're basically just holding your breath every day that there's no news. We want to talk sports on our show. We hopefully can talk sports every day and not cancellations and pauses. Those words are just, it bums you out.
1: Paul, well, I suppose if we're talking sports and, and St. Patrick's Day, and if we go back to this time last year, March 17, 2020, um, we had Thomas Edward Brady announced that he was leaving the New England Patriots and he was taking his considerable talents to the state of Florida, down to, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Did, did you could Did anyone see, foresee, the way it would play out that that he would win the, the seventh ring in his first season outside of New England. Going back to him uh, saying he was going to play for Tampa Bay, if anyone in America,
3: any sports media says they knew it was happening, they would have reported it. However, they kept that secret, I don't know how. From what I've heard about the storyline of what happened was he met with uh, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, and Bill Belichick on, a—I think it was a Tuesday. And then he made his decision the next morning and called the management of the Tampa Bay Bucks and, uh, and the uh, Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers, to give you an example, they were used to be a very hapless franchise in the 70s and 80s and 90s. They were terrible. And in the past 20 years, they've been quite a bit better where that stink of futility is off them. But the idea a year and two days ago of them signing Tom Brady was preposterous, even though they had good players and a really good defense and some good players around him. It just didn't compute with anybody. I don't think anyone really put it out there. There were other teams that were rumored, but I don't remember hearing much about the Buccaneers. And, you know, the one thing I've learned is never to doubt Brady. I would never bet my money against him. If you can go back to 28-3 against Atlanta. And when he joined that team last year, their Super Bowl odds went up, but not up to the point where you thought they were a favorite. And there was a time last year, I think it was November, where they had a little dip. And they didn't look too good. They just looked spotty. They looked, you know, one day the defense would be good, then the next week the offense, and then they'd lose by bunch of touchdowns but he did it he pulled it off again and the smart thing about tom brady he knows as a businessman um my contract's not as important as my rings and the more rings i get the more money i get for endorsements from all but the other stuff and every year with the patriots he takes pay cuts or pay delayments just you know and he did it again with the buccaneers and a lot of the sign more people so you know my advice for you is don't bet against the guys it's never worked out
2: Yeah, it's tricking me a tricky button, yeah. Okay. Drink break. <laughs> Michael keeps tricking me with these buttons. Um, you touched on COVID last year, and if you recall, Roger Goodell got a lot of, lot of stick last year for proceeding with free agency. And as well as just on the Patriots and the all-time Brady situation, free agency started this week. I don't think any of us of coming in terms of how proactive the Patriots have been in terms of the players they've signed. What's your, what's your overall thoughts on Bill Belichick's New way, of, new way of doing things.
3: It's a one eighty. They've got a history of not spending much money, not breaking the bank. Um, now they didn't break the bank for any one player. It's almost like they bought six or seven good players, which I think is a good strategy. You know, when I'm not a, especially a Patriots, I'm a Bears fan. But if I'm a Patriots fan, I'm like, it's not my money he's spending. I go to one game a year. What do I care? If you compare to what they had last year, they they had no depth. You know, players tapped out because of COVID. Players left for other reasons. And they need depth at all positions. It was really surprising, though. And uh, the thing about the Patriots is, you, you never know what they're going to do. Nothing ever gets out. The media in an organization, and there's they get very they get almost nowhere. It's really, I think, because Bill Belichick's in charge of everything, just about to a point. You know, Robert Kraft gets involved, the owner. But if Bill Belichick doesn't leak it to anybody in the media, which he doesn't, he doesn't really have any media friends. He has a couple. You'll know, you hear some stuff from. But there's no way to get any information on them. So there's no way to see anything coming. I'm curious with you guys. Do you guys each have a team that you specifically root for? And kind of, I want to know from your end, because you're doing questions with me. I'm going to ask you some questions. How did your fandom come about with your team? Like, Do you find do you like the uniforms? Do you like a player? Do you see a game randomly? How did, how did that work out?
0: Me, me and Colin support the same team as Todd Fritz. I just wanted to get that in first. Big Broncos response. How do you get Todd in the show, by the way? That's
2: it. Oh, he'll come out. But I, I'm the oldest, so I'm definitely going to go first. I, I'm 43 this month. My first experience of NFL was the Giants Broncos Super Bowl in Pasadena. Um, and then thereafter, I went to the States with my, with my parents for holidays. A friend was from Dublin. She lived in California. And because of that Super Bowl and being the first game, Giants won. They became my team, and they have been ever since. So, yeah, I'm the old guy with a few of them coming in behind me.
3: That's cool. I mean, I think that's a good franchise to root for because. I really compare. I want to get to all you guys too. It's like when I decided to choose a soccer team. It kind of chooses you. Um, I became a Liverpool fan, not because I had any allegiance. I know, I know, I know. I, I knew someone in the room was going to get upset. Um, Stevie G, I love Stevie G. Um, but I was in, I was in, uh, I was in Italy. I think I may have mentioned this before. And I was watching a soccer match. I just, I'd, I'd always liked the Premier League. It was a long, long time ago. But I happened to see a, a match. It was Liverpool and it was young Stevie Jerry, Steven Gerrard. And um, I was like, that seemed like a cool team. And that was it. And now it, there's been some bad days, but there's, we've been some good days. How about the rest of you guys who are going to healthy?
1: Well, I, as Michael said, I'm a big Broncos fan. And all the way back to, to John Elway. Paul, I, I talked to you the last time. I talked about how we love kind of a tra- tragic hero, a flawed hero a little bit. And so I remember seeing this just orange blur, this number seven who was here, there, and everywhere. But, you know, I the first Super Bowl, my mother allowed me to stay up for. I was very young, and I was so excited. The Broncos against the 49ers, and I yeah. was so young, I thought we'd a chance. Um, and uh, I, to this day remains the historic loss. So that was the first sporting event I cried over. But that began my lifelong um Affliction of of being a Broncos fan. Now there have been some amazing moments along the way, but it's a bit like being a guy with a sore tooth at times. If, if we don't have Manning or Elway at QB, um, yeah. So staying up till you know half three in the morning to to watch. Uh, some of our QBs uh, has been uh, interesting to, to say the least, but um, the, the last few years, obviously, of, uh, of Elway and the, the time under Manning were, were incredible. And, uh, yeah, I've been fortunate to see some great players with the, with the Broncos, like Steve Atwater and stuff. And I try to make uh, a, a pilgrimage to the Mile High City in pre-COVID times at least once a year.
3: Oh, that's great. Wow. That's more than some people do. I think, I think you go see more Broncos games than Todd Fritz, and he lives in the state. <laughs>
4: <laughs> How about the rest of you
3: guys?
4: So, Michael, you go ahead. Finish off the Broncos duo.
0: Um, Broncos since 2011. I was on a college night on Monday night. Um came back. Team will beat the Jets. Two weeks later, my, my future wife bought me a, a Tim Tebow jersey that was uh, stopped in Iceland for thirty five pounds in the north. Thirty five pounds customs. Uh, move on three years, two or three years later, then the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. Um, I'm the cockiest man in Ireland for three weeks. Two weeks, and you know the rest is history. In that sense, a terrible night, but thank God, you know. Look, I I very lucky supporting the Broncos. Really enjoyed it. Then Peyton Manning comes in. Great few years, especially. Living in Spain the year we won the Super Bowl, it was incredible. Living in Barcelona, met a lot of Americans that that, that week of the Super Bowl. They were all over watching the game in Spain. Ironically, for some reason. And uh, the last four years have been forgettable. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, like there's, there's not even a start there. But uh, you know, it's good fun. At least we can say to ourselves. I think out of all of us, apart from Mark at the bottom, who he'll say who he supports in the second. Uh, at least we've won a, at least we've won something in the last ten years. I think in the NFL it's different to soccer or the Premier League. If you won it once in ten years, you can take it and run. But uh, looking forward to seeing what the future holds. And i you be good to chat to Todd about the Broncos sometime.
2: Oh, before Mark comes in, um, Michael on the show last night was referring to the anniversary and obviously he was talking about the Tom Brady anniversary. Mm-hmm. But the first anniversary that pops into my head is actually Plaxico Burris signed for the Giants St. Patrick's Day, war number seventeen. Gave me my greatest moment in terms of supporting the Giants, beating the Patriots in, in that fantastic Super Bowl tonight.
3: So you're a Giants fan. I went to high school again on the south side of Chicago. And one of the guys I went to high school with is Rodney Harrison, the former defensive back of the New England Patriots. And he comes on our show. He worked with Dan Patrick for years at, at uh, Football Night in America for NBC Sports. And he was the defensive back trying to rip the ball out of David Tyree's hands on that play. And when it you know it doesn't get brought up to him too often, but whenever when he does interviews, sometimes people ask because it's one of the most memorable, greatest plays in NFL history. First Eli scrambling and getting loose, but then the catch by Tyree against the helmet. And when you ask Rodney about it, he gets his shoulders get up and he gets <laughs> head. And he starts like getting like he is so mad about it, and it doesn't like, go away in any way. And this guy's got rings, plural. I think mean, he's got a couple mm-hmm. rings with Patriots. It's not like he's a guy with no rings. But he is so mad that he wasn't able to rip that ball out, and he tried everything. You can see him ripping at it, pulling at it. He's going on the ground. He's still pulling. It bothers him to this day, and you know that's what kind of competitor Harrison is. He will never get over it. And when it gets brought up, it's almost like he's replaying it in his body, and you can see him get upset.
2: Just so, send him the Joe. Just send him the Joe Book and Troy Eggman commentary. That'll cheer him up. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well.
4: Yeah, no, it, it's funny you mention that because, um, Paul, obviously Harrison does have a couple of rings. He was, you know, sealing interceptions in AFC championship games against right. Manning. I mean, he, he not only has rings, he stepped up when it really counted obviously to, to propel his teams to those championships. But I love your description of that play where you mentioned about Manning, uh, scrambling. And the catch, and forgetting to mention the five uh, Giants all holding at the exact same time, which somehow gets missed on that play multiple times. And if that doesn't give it away, I am actually a Patriots fan. I I actually got into American football when I was really young. I visited Florida, and I do still have a six-year-old Miami Dolphins jersey because Dan Marino was the only player I knew. And the only game I can remember actually watching the Dolphins late night, one night on Channel 5 of all things, was... When they stopped the uh, Broncos when they were 13 and 0 and going for a perfect season and maintaining, obviously, the uh, Dolphins dynasty. But I went to, to university and decided, hey, I love, I think this is a great sport. I'm going to watch it a bit more. I'm going to pick a team. And I remember watching a game, and I like to go for the underdog. And sure enough, I was watching a game where some skinny little Michigan kid came in for their $100 million starting quarterback. And of course, that was Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Um, and it's been a pretty good 22 years since then, except until last Patrick's Day, obviously. So I can't, I can't, and won't complain in any See, way. See, you, you, you're gonna have a rough next debt
3: generation. I to oh
4: yeah,
3: it, it, the last, the, you were on scholarship, full scholarship for 20 years with the Patriots. It, this is as good as it's gonna get in any American sport. I mean, it's better than yeah. the Bulls. It's
4: better than the, like the
3: Lakers or the Yankees. I, I think you're in for a rough decade. You know, uh, Paul,
4: it, I'm, I'm going to cry myself to sleep with all of our six Super Bowl victories. It's,
3: it's yeah, okay. I mean, I thing, it's I'm a Chicago Cubs fan and I made a deal with the big guy. I said, I just want one Cubs. <laughs> I don't want three. Sure, I want three, but I don't need three. So, you know, I, I did my due diligence. I behaved 2016, but 2003, when that was ripped away from me, I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. That was pain. That was some pain that, you know, you, you only get over when your team wins a title. And in 2016, when the Cubs won the World Series, I'm still a Cubs fan. I watch. I would like them to go to the World Series. I don't need them to go to the World Series. There's a difference. And it's almost like that Cubs 2016 victory is like a warm blanket on a cold night that I'll have for the rest of my life. And you know what? I would love to have another one, but I'll be okay if I don't. So you're literally a mind, reader.
4: Sorry, Mark. No. I was going to say, you mentioned about the Cubs, you mentioned 2003, that was the Steve Bartman game, obviously, wasn't it? Which yep. was you know, infamous, to say the least. But you are also a Bears fan, as you alluded to, and you do have that 85 Super Bowl, which is massive in Europe, because that was the first year of terrestrial coverage of American football. There's a lot of Bears fans, a lot of Giants fans, a lot of 49ers fans because of that, Cowboys fans well, because of that era. But that Bears team obviously hopefully gives you some soccer in terms of performance. Since then, and we've talked about it on the show, in fact, since the creation of the Chicago Bears you have never had a decent quarterback when Jay Cutler is the top of all your statistical charts that is a factory of sadness in itself And I mean it gets worse because you know basically go Jim McMahon Mitch Trubitsky is right up there Jim Harbour I think is number three but I have to ask you because we're in the midst of free agency Dalton is coming and no, that's not Patrick Swayze suddenly reincarnated and being a bouncer. That is truly the king of the gingers. The Red Rocket, Andy Dalton, is coming to Chicago. Paul, I have to ask, how how are you feeling about that? Well, here's the thing. As a Bear fan,
3: your bar for quarterbacks is so freaking low that we're really delusional. And now, if we had signed Andy Dalton without thinking we were going to sign Russell Wilson, it wouldn't have been that bad. You know, Andy Dalton, a couple of years ago, was a pro bowler. You know, last year, his stats with Dallas are not bad. Andy Dalton, in one day, it would be the greatest quarterback in Chicago Bear history statistically. If you took his stats with Cincinnati and popped them on the Bears, he's all-time in every category. However, about three weeks ago, and it was on our show, the Dan Patrick Show, about four weeks ago, right at the Super Bowl. Tuesday at the Super Bowl, we have Russell Wilson on our show. We've had Russell on 100 times. We've known him very well. And he came on after the Super Bowl, and Dan noticed something at the Super Bowl that Russell Wilson, who won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Love you, Walter. um, He was standing on the sidelines watching Tom Brady win a Super Bowl, and he saw Russell's face like, boy, I bet that just burns him, that he's sitting on the sidelines watching Brady win another one. And also Brady has input on personnel. So when Dan starts interviewing him on Tuesday after the Super Bowl, he goes, would you like more input with your team? He goes, "Uh, of course, everybody would. He goes, no, no, I want to know if you would. Dan's a good interviewer. He won't let that go. He goes, Yeah, absolutely. I would like to. I see what Brady's doing down there and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, Do you think you'll finish your career with the Seahawks? And he goes, I don't know. That's not my decision. And that story blew up that day. It was the biggest story in American sports. And really, three weeks later, it kind of still is. And a couple of days after that, his agent leaked to, I think, Adam Schefter of ESPN that if they traded Russell Wilson, these are the four teams to be interested in. That's unprecedented in American sports. Usually star athletes, they may they may leak that they are interested in trading or it may be leaked. Rarely do they give a list of four teams. I've never seen that. And one of those teams, shockingly, was the Chicago Bears. I actually thought it was like a, an Onion article or a spoof. I thought it was being you know, baited by one of my friends being catfished. Why would Russell Wilson want to go play for the Bears? Is he, is he masochistic? Is he, has it been too good for him? He wants a really tough road? Um, and – But Bears fans and my friends in Chicago and the media I know in Chicago went nuts with this story. And they've been going nuts with it for the past three weeks. And to the point where you get delusional you're thinking, there's got to be a way. We're going to get Russell Wilson. He's he's by far the best quarterback ever to walk into Chicago. And and then when we found out it was Andy Dalton yesterday, I compare it to this. Imagine you're 16 years old and your parents say, well, we're going to get you a car. You know, we're going to get you a car for your 16th birthday. How, How great is that? Who wouldn't want a car? You know, most kids don't get a brand new car. And you look around the house and you see like a uh, a brochure for a Porsche or a Mercedes or, you know, some really nice car. And you're like, my parents are going to give me a Porsche or a Mercedes. And you wake up on that day, go outside, and it's all wrapped up in this bow. And there's like a, like a used Honda Civic sitting out there. Like a used, you know, I don't know, kind of average car. Nothing wrong with it. A used Toyota, you know. Prius, you know, but like old, and, you know, not really that great anymore. In your head, you're thinking, I'm getting a Porsche. And you perfectly got a decent car. And that's what Andy Dalton is. He's a decent car. But in our heads, we got crazed. We thought we were getting uh, Russ Wilson. That's a long way of saying there will never be a great quarterback in Chicago. We could overcome any great quarterback. You could tr- trade us Patrick Mahomes right now, and we will make him into a C-minus quarterback. Nobody can outlast the Bears with quarterbacks. Nobody.
2: Oh, it's a awesome. awesome. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, just a quick one. Uh, Paul, does it, would it not help if your parents did the utmost to get you the Porsche? Because if you look at the information coming out today, the Bears have, Bears offered three number ones, another uh, third round pick, two players. They've done their utmost to get the player in. It just hasn't materialized.
3: I hope that people understand that. It appears that the Bears made a really strong offer, and yeah. you're not going to find out who the players are. You probably won't. Maybe some media person will, but they don't want to leak that. I think some Bears fans are really delusional this week and got them, they got themselves believing that they were getting Russell and the explanations don't matter. Um, I don't, it's, it's a tough time. You know, again, Bears fans are a lot of them live in at 85 past, as I do, because that was the peak of my bear fandom. But if you're 27 years old, if you're 37 years old, you have no recollection of the 85 bears. They're a bunch of old guys who are all on TV and, they talk about all the time, and your know, your uncle talks about it, your grandfather, or your father. Um, people under forty have no recollection.
0: We actually spoke to you. I think it was a weekend before the Super Bowl, like pre-recording everything, yeah. and then on the Friday we got Mike Singletary. <laughs> We're like,
3: "What?" That's so he awesome. was a bit. <laughs> That's awesome. You got Singletary. And you know, again, uh, my favorite player of all time was Walter Payton, and uh, you know it, it was you know great to have him in Chicago. And I actually think, Walter Payton, I don't think he's ever been to Ireland, but he went to England once. And uh, he was, like, in something where he jousted or wore, like, a suit of armor. I can remember seeing a video where he was in London and he was in a suit of armor doing something for, with the royal family. It was years and years ago. But, uh, you know, yeah. that, I remember the, the 85 Bears were, some of my friends who were from Europe said, I think it was a year after 85, the Bears played a preseason game. Or they did, uh, any, in the yeah, in yeah. And you guys knew the refrigerator, Walter Payton, and Jim McMahon. And that was the first time people in Ireland and England had access to American football live or tape delayed. And that Bears team kind of exploded overseas. And in the 90s, it was harder to find uh, NFL games live and even taped.
0: There is a bit of a thing with the refrigerator, I'll, I'll send it to you later on, I'll, 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 I'll DM you, there's a, a, an analyst during the Super Bowl that questions why somebody's called, her, and he's being completely serious, why he's being called a refrigerator and he asks, is he cool? But I guess one thing I wanted to ask you Paul really quickly is, you mentioned the Cubs there and I jumped in saying you're almost a mind reader, my next question was, I'm not sure what your knowledge of GEF or like Irish GEF football is, have you much of a knowledge about
3: it or? No, I, I w- wanted to see a game. I was in a match match or game because I try to get my terminology down, right. Um, I, I was in Galway and I was going to go see a match, and we couldn't get there. We couldn't find a, a ride out to see a match. I've seen it on TV, and uh, it, it looks hardcore. You know, we, we <sighs> think I've never played like rugby or that type of style of football, but uh, I've learned one thing: don't get in a fight with a rugby player. And you know, I, I see those guys with their you know, <laughs> with their ears. I think I may have to of you guys but if you see ears that are all crunched like this don't don't fight that guy you know, you know Irish uh, football players
2: that's their kind of style as like a to Cubs farm, fan I'd though i out of New York
0: <laughs> as a Cubs fan though um, obviously those I mean Jesus years of hurt generations of hurt like I mean I remember as a not even a baseball fan watching when the Cubs won the World Series against Cleveland I was almost tearing up myself but we have a team over we have a county over here and these, these boys are about to laugh Mayo boys They haven't won the All-Ireland since 1951, which is the epitome of sport here for for that. And they've lost in 89, 96, 97, 2004, 2006, 2012, 2013, 2016, 2017, 2020. They are apparently cursed by an Irish priest. And I would, would, that's what I was going to say, I think it's the equivalent of the Chicago Cubs. So the team from,
3: what's the name of the team again? It's Mayo, so it's County Mayo
0: uh,
3: in Ireland. And so they've been in the title match or how does it work where they've been in... Pretty much title match, They've lost yeah. like seven times? Yeah,
0: loads of times, man. Like 10 have 10 times, yeah. Oh, do do
2: you, you know the story of the priest, Michael, do
0: you? I do. I've, I've yeah. heard the story, but feel free to tell Paul. I'm, I'm, I'm happy about well, uh, unless,
2: inst- unless I'm mistaken, but the last time they won it, they were on the way home with the trophy celebrating and there was a funeral going on in a local area and they... Rather than stopping and paying their respects, they proceeded on with their celebrations through the funeral, through the funeral party, and that priest who, who was managing that funeral, put a spell on them that they would never win the championship again. And yeah, they haven't since. Well, I mean, well I, actually, even
4: being even more precise, Brian, he said he apparently put a curse on them that they would never win the championship game while any of those players were still alive. So there's two of the team that are still alive, and I don't know how many who haven't taking them out with snipers. I don't know if I
3: mean, terrible for those guys. I mean, those guys are probably eating healthy and doing the right thing, and people are rude against them.
2: Yeah. They haven't but, got COVID yet. Maybe do work on that.
3: <laughs> well, the Chicago Cubs, there was an old, they, they called it the curse of the Billy Goat, and there was a guy who owned a restaurant in Chicago, and uh, supposedly the Cubs did something to offend him. He wanted to bring a Billy Goat to a game, and he put a curse on them. I don't know, but um, I, I remember watching game seven of the World Series with the Cubs, and they are winning the whole game, and I'm telling you, and you guys, if you're a hardcore sports fan of any team, you know when your team is close to victory, it, there's pain. And I, I had a stomach ache for a week and a half when the Cubs were in the World Series. You'd think it'd be a glorious time. I got to go to game three and four in Chicago. They lost both, of, by the way, which made me crazy because I thought I was at fault. And um, so I remember watching the game. And every game when they would win, until they won the game, I had a stomach ache. And they would take a lead. And it's like my stomach ache went away just a little bit. And I'm watching Game 7, and I think in Game 7 for the Cubs against the Indians in 16, Dexter Fowler hit a leadoff home run. So that means they're leaving, leading 1-0 after the first at-bat. And I remember just sitting there in my chair going, Whoa. just trying to get air and trying to enjoy the fact that they a lead. And they led most of the game. And I think it was, uh, I guess it was the ninth inning to send it to uh, extra innings, a guy named Raji Davis of the uh, Cleveland Indians hit a home run to tie the game. And when he hit the home run, I was sitting by myself in the dark in my house, and I sat back in my seat, and it, it almost like hit me like a wave, like oh, this is how the Cubs are going to break my heart that son. This is how it's going to happen. This feels right. Look, the Cubs losing in grand fashion feels more normal to me. It actually felt like not not comforting, but like ah, this is what I've grown up around. The Cubs ripping my heart out and being having pain instead of thinking oh, this is terrible. I'm mad and yelling at the team. I'm like ah, this is how it's going to be. Coming back from three-one to tie up the World Series and losing after having a lead late into the game, oh, and like my mind was closer to thinking that they're going to lose than they're going to win. And then the last out of the World Series, I think it was uh, Chris Bryant picked it up, threw it over to Anthony Rizzo. Until the moment Rizzo caught the ball and held it up in his hands, I never thought for a second the Cubs were going to win the World Series until that moment. Like, I, my, if you had a picture of my face, it would have been like Bill Murray's face. You see Bill Murray's face, like. He goes like this because he's shocked. The, the concept of that is, is foreign to us, the Cubs fans. And I ran outside. True story. It's 1 o'clock in the morning, Trumbull, Connecticut. My family's asleep. Everyone's asleep. Quiet little neighborhood. I took all my clothes off, ran outside into my driveway and got yelled, Cubs win, completely naked. Now, it wasn't that risky because I wasn't like on a busy street or a busy neighborhood. But I remember thinking, like, if I'm not going to do it now, when am I going to do it? I ran back inside and put my clothes on. My wife comes out and she hears me yelling. She goes, what the hell is going on here? I'm like,
2: come win!" Come with
4: She goes, go to bed. I'm like, I'm going go to bed. <laughs> what, what why that? are you yelling? Why have you got no clothes on? So many questions in such a short period of time. Right. You're disappointed by everything, if you can imagine. <laughs> so actually, Paul, you, you mentioned the curse of the Billy Go. Obviously, the curse of the Bambino was broken by the Red Sox. You know, uh, even the Cleveland Cavaliers, Cleveland won a a championship with LeBron going back and and obviously winning the NBA. What is now the biggest curse in American sports? Is it just the Jets are cursed for being the Jets? Or, I mean, is there uh, something famous, really? I would say
3: no on the Jets because they did win it with Joe Namath. I know that's a thousand years ago, but it's still enough that's in people's minds. I would say the teams that America would rally around would be teams like the Cleveland Indians and the Detroit Lions. And even when the Cubs were playing the Indians in the World Series, I remember thinking to myself, if the Cubs happen to lose this, at least they're losing it to the Indians. and The town gets their victory. So it wasn't that terrible. I, I would say the Detroit Lions, I don't think they've won a playoff game since the 40s. And, you know, that, that's a hell of a long time not to even get one playoff victory. That's a team that I think people have rooted around. That city's had a lot of tough times. And I, I think people will get on the bandwagon.
1: Paul, this is why I call sports fandom an affliction because it's it's that famous quote of you know it's it's the despair I, I can handle, it's the hope that kills you, yeah. and uh, when when you find yourself in it. Now, for many teams around the league, outside of Russell Wilson, the other story of this off is Deshaun Watson. And the hope that Deshaun Watson might ride into town. You will have a franchise QB who's going to take you to the promised land. Um, we it, It's the huge talking point over here, as it is right. in America. Your own thoughts on that situation and, and where it might end. It's a real awkward situation because it feels like it's, it's beyond
3: fixable. And Deshaun Watson and his agent aren't even speaking to the coaches and the staff. And I don't know, because the Houston Texans, they seem like a pretty good franchise past you know decade but then you know they they dispatched jj watt which is understandable he's older and he's not as good as he used to be um, still a good player but then the watson thing they've got a young healthy great quarterback under contract this is what the nfl is built around you want that then they have it and somehow and we don't know all the details they've alienated him i think it started with trading a star wide receiver i think he's got some problems with ownership off the field with some of their beliefs and i think he and his agents have Let's do this now. Let's not wait till the contract's up. Let's not wait till you're 29 or 28. And they've made a hard decision. Now, if you're the Texans, this is, should be the biggest trade in NFL history because you have a young, healthy, under-contract quarterback, which is what every team dreams of. On the New York Jets, I mean, I don't think there's a limit on what I give up for him. That said, there's another factor there with this because of contracts and money. Money always drives everything in the NFL. The Jets right now have the second pick in the draft and can draft a quarterback. Let's say they took Zach Wilson of BYU. He's a very popular quarterback. They get him at a rookie contract. The Jets have draft picks. They have cap room, a lot of money to spend. And if they draft a quarterback out of college, he doesn't cost them that much. That first four years is not that bad. And teams are – they'd rather reset at the quarterback position than to trade and do things like that. And you go back to um, Patrick Mahomes. And he was drafted. They had a good quarterback in Kansas City. They had a, um, Alex Smith, good quarterback under contract. But they said, "I think we've seen everything he could do. We're going to restart with a new younger guy." And that seems to be the move. I, I don't know what the Texans are thinking. If they're not taking trade offers from, him, which we nuts, um, I don't think he's going to hold out for a season. That would be insanity. But Le'Veon Bell did it, so it's it's been there is a precedent.
2: Uh, just, just on the books, I know we discussed it earlier in terms of the winning the Super Bowl and Tom Brady going there and Brady taking the reductions in the salary as for what he'd done in New England. But as a celebration uh, on the boat or just off the boat, the GM made that bold statement that everybody was coming back and we're going to re- reset and go again for another championship. And I, I was quite surprised in a way that they got it done. I know a lot of players have kind of latched onto to the real opportunity to go back to Saints or. Kind of in flux now with Breeze retiring, and the run it back kind of a team that we saw last year. From the Chiefs is very much in play for the for the Bucks again. They've done a great job in getting all the the marquee players back for next season.
3: Yeah, it seems like they're pretty smart down there. I, I would say there's there's a lot of benefits for playing with the Tampa Bay Bucks. The coach doesn't seem to be a guy who's going to grind you out, Rosarians. Financially, so Florida is very friendly. There, a lot of players go down there because the taxes are better, and that does factor in when agents tell you where to play. Um, I think some guys like the running back Leonard from that may have to go elsewhere to get paid. But as long as they keep Brady and most of the defense and, you know, get a, add a couple of people on offense. Also, I think the fact is, uh, you know, you can get more endorsements and more other things when you win. And a guy like Shaq Barrett, who's a very good defensive lineman, or linebacker, I should say, um, he now finds himself in a position of being somewhat of a superstar. And he wasn't before. But when you get to the Super Bowl with Tom Brady, you get that big stage with hundreds of millions of people watching you, you now become a household name. That's gonna to be tough to give up. Because if I'm Shaq Barrett and they offer me, let's say they offered him four years for seventy million dollars. But the and think of a team that's somewhat irrelevant. No offense, the Denver Broncos. <laughs> I had to say it. Um, let's say the Denver Broncos called and said, We're gonna give you four years and seventy two million. Would that two million make you wanna leave Florida and go play for the Broncos? No offense, but you're probably not gonna be deep into the playoffs next year. And Jack Barrett said, "Okay, I, I may, you know, give up a few bucks here and there, but I'm probably going deep in the playoffs with Tom Brady, and that's going to get me paid in endorsements and lifestyle, and you know that that's very attractive."
4: And and Paul, you mentioned about maybe adding a couple of other players. You mentioned the other night on the show, James White is a free agent. Obviously, a long history with Brady, eleven catches in a Super Bowl in the past. So yeah. there's a lot of sense there. I could see it. I still see Edelman ending up his career in Tampa. Oh, no, no, don't don't, don't say that.
3: Just oh. no, no. I know, so I, I know Edelman, and uh, you know that guy's born for tank tops and jean shorts down there in Tampa. He can go down there in a second.
4: I was saying last night, we're doing a show every night this week during free agency week because obviously there's so much happening. I said right. to the group last night, I now have 10 Patriots jerseys. The only two I've got left are two Edelman ones, one of which is signed, which are players that are still with the Patriots.
3: So I'm just.
2: I
4: right. do a fascinating fast guy. We, we
3: had him in the studio a couple years ago, right after he had his knee surgery, and he was walking in the room like in slow motion. And he's about five foot nine, probably about mm-hmm. one hundred and seventy five pounds. He looks like a normal little guy on the street. Like he didn't. The last thing he looked like is a professional athlete. He looked like some neighbor of yours who's in good shape. And uh, I remember thinking, like, how does this guy do it? He's small. And uh, I think we had him on October, and he could barely walk into the studio. He was walking very slow. And Dan asked him, he goes, if the Patriots make the Super Bowl, are you playing? He goes, oh yeah. I'm playing the Super Bowl. It doesn't matter what my injury is. He goes, You're gonna have to he goes, I'll I'll cut stuff off, I'll inject stuff, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm I'm getting out there for the Super Bowl. He goes, I can't play today.
4: I can't play in December, but if yeah. we have to make the Super Bowl, I'll be there. If, if you haven't read his book, his book actually is fascinating in terms of some of the stuff. And even the way his dad trained him up was just yeah. like ruthless, but made him, made him the player he is. And He's one of my players. favorite players.
3: He's one of those yeah. guys that uh, probably will not make the Hall of Fame. He's going to make the Patriots Hall of Fame. Definitely. If you said, yeah, That's the thing about Halls of Fame in America. You, you need statistics. It really helps to be a pro bowler and other statistics. But if you needed a catch in the Super Bowl, Julian Edelman's top three all time. And to me, that's hall of fame worthy. You know, it's, there's certain athletes that I'm sure you guys have athletes in your country where they may not be the biggest star on their team, but in, with two minutes left in a match, they're the guy you want with the ball. And those are aren't necessarily the highest paid players.
4: Yep, still, still the greatest catch of all time and the greatest comeback of all time, obviously uh, by Element. <laughs> Sorry, ignoring don't, the Tyree, right? ignoring don't, the Tyree. It's I'm uh, actually. Paul, just Please a comment. completely side topic um, and just staying on free agency in a theme. Uh, one move I saw, very small move, but is amusing to me for one reason. Michael Brockers has been traded by the Rams you to you the Lions you. for a seventh round pick. And you know where I'm going with this. Oh, yeah. Good job. Uh, the second the trade was made between Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford, he was reported sl- was slating Jared Goff and saying, well, uh, Jared Goff's no Matthew Stafford. We've got an upgrade here. Um, thank God, and now he's reunited with Jared Goff in the Lions.
3: Look, I mean, you got to call your agent and say to your agent, "Hey, look, I, I know I'm being shopped. You can't let me get traded to Detroit, even just for four Irish guys and an American are joking about you on a on a show right now." I mean, that how far is this story gone? Uh, you made one little comment about Jared Goff, who took you to a Super Bowl, by the way, and Matt Stafford has never been to the second round of the playoffs, so. Um, I think Jared Goff should make him, like, wash his car or something like that. There should be some type of, like, bro penalty for saying that out loud. You know, he's got to, like, something, he's got to do something. I don't know what it is.
0: Paul, I think it's hilarious because I, 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 I think we're going to just, just go around all this one more time here very quickly. I think it's hilarious that we've talked for nearly, nearly an hour, and we haven't mentioned the point that, that the Dan Patrick show, you know, we haven't even talked about your role there or anything, but they almost broke the internet today with that whole situation with, with Russell Wilson. I know you've talked about him. But apparently the Bears offered a, what, three first-round picks, third-round pick, and two starters. Obviously, you weren't told who the starters were. I guess my question before I ask it, this has been a good hour so far, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, where does, do you think Russell Wilson leaves Seattle? I mean, Do you think he ends up anywhere, or do
3: you think he's going to stay there? I think he'll be there next year. Um, if I ran the Seattle Seahawks, if I was a general manager, I would worry about my job if I traded Russell Wilson. Um, if he's still on your team next year, you have a decent team. You have an above-average team. You're going to win 10 games. You're going to make the playoffs. And that kind of stuff doesn't get you fired. Trading a Hall of Fame quarterback who's 32 is insane to me. And I don't care what you get back. Because all you do in the NFL every year as a general manager is you plug in defensive ends and linemen and all that stuff. The search for the quarterback is everything in the NFL. You have him. He's under contract. You not have to do anything. He's actually underpaid. Do whatever makes him happy. If you want, if he wants to come to a GM meeting and hang out, fantastic. But that's it. That's all I got to do to make you happy is put you on a couple of Zoom calls when we discuss the, uh, the trading uh, deadline. I don't see what the big deal is. And if they trade him, and for the next decade they search for quarterbacks, you're going to lose your job. If John Schneider Schneider is the uh, general manager of the Seahawks. If, if he trades Russell Wilson, and they miss a couple playoffs. You're unemployed. I know you get another job, but I don't know if you want to uproot your family. You've been there ten years. I think people should think about that kind of stuff and they make decisions. It's gonna cost me my job. And Russell hasn't demanded a trade. He's demanding action. And the trade is the backup plan. So this is this is fixable. Unlike Deshaun Watson, I think it's fixable.
1: Paul, we were – it was interesting, right, because you made the point and Mark made the point that that 85 Bears team, that era, right, the first time on terrestrial television, and Mark right. made the point. You see Bears fans here, right? You see Giants fans, you see 49ers fans, you see Raiders fans. You don't see Broncos fans, right? Even though the Broncos were successful in that era, and we were joking earlier that like about the, the irrelevancy of this current Broncos team. Now, uh, look, Michael and I are fans, but there's almost this civil war in Denver. It feels at the moment where one side is like Drew Locke, we got you got to give him time, and the other side is like we got to move on, you got to you got to find a different answer at QB. As somebody who is removed from Denver and right. um, but is plugged into the league and plugged into the media. What are, I suppose, what are, the, what are your thoughts on that situation? How did the Broncos become relevant again? When I watch
3: Drew Locke, he has the swagger and the behavior of a star quarterback. He just hasn't done it on the field, including his team, not just him. I don't know. I lean towards supporting him and going with it and surrounding him with some you know, decent offensive linemen and wide receivers and tight ends. I think you make any quarterback better like that. I remember him in Missouri, and he seemed like the perfect dropback quarterback. I don't know, but there's no patience anymore. The NFL is not a patient league. Go back to the Arizona Cardinals a couple years ago. They drafted Josh Rose out of UCLA. After one season, they got the number one draft pick, and they said, we've seen enough. We're going with Kyler Murray. You know, you look at the Miami Dolphins. There's talk of Miami Dolphins. Are they set at quarterback of Tua? He's been there 12 months. He's been there 10 months. And they're already, like, there's talk about, well, we have we seen his best work? There's no patience anymore. I think they've actually been a little patient with Drew Locke. I, what is their draft pick? I think they're in the – 13. Nine. Number nine. Nine. Ooh, nine, you're really close. Nine, you're a first-round draft pick away from being the fifth pick of the draft. So if I were betting, I think they would draft a quarterback.
4: Mark, have you got, Mark, I've, I've got one more for Paul before we go? Yeah, so, I mean, actually, Paul, you said about having, not having patience there. Sam Donald, at 23 in New York Jets territory is another one in that, although obviously since his infamous seeing ghosts comment, I think he's, right. he's got a, a perception battle to come back from I suppose I'm going to finish with just a, a pop quiz question. We might as well end with a bit of trivia and everything. So okay. I feel like we're in the uh, almost the quarterback kind of emotional support uh, group at the moment here. You've got Andy Dalton, Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and Cam Newton as the starters for our four teams, none of which excites uh, anyone except Brian, who still believes Daniel Jones is an actual functioning NFL quarterback. But that's beside the point. Pop quiz, I'm going to do Dennis Hopper in speed. So pop quiz, hard shot. There are three teams in the NFL currently who have a quarterback or quarterbacks, shall we say, who have four plus Pro Bowls and one Super Bowl MVP between them. I know there's one man on this call who definitely knows the answer to that. But I'm wondering if the other three do. I'm hmm. no, just, waiting, just waiting. Paul, you might have to put them out of their misery. Well, I'm going to give you a hint. We've
3: talked about them a lot in the past hour, one of
2: them. Russell Wilson? No? Mm-hmm. No? no? Mr. Mr. Dalton? Do- 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 Tom
3: Brady. Uh, the Buccaneers have quarterbacks with four Pro Bowls and an MVP. Uh, the Green Bay Packers have quarterbacks with four Pro Bowls and MVP. And my Chicago Bears with Andy Dalton and, uh, <laughs> got Nick, Foles. <laughs> and Nick Foles. Nick Foles has the MVP and one Pro Bowl. Andy Dalton. Now, I had to put them together into one decent quarterback. But <laughs> I, do the math. That's uh, that's Hall of Fame right there. Those two guys who go on to Hall of Fame together. One butt. It. Split in the middle. Red hair on this side. Long face on the other. Paul.
0: Paul, can I just say, man, just before we go, um, when this COVID stuff stops, you're booking a flight one way in New York to uh, to Dublin and we're going to have some scoops in, in the Guinness factory and also in a couple of bars in the north, maybe in some random villages as well. I have to say as well, if Dan, yourself, Todd, Patrick or, or McLovin ever need a day off, we're, we're happy to fill in, but <laughs> we massively appreciate your time. I, we ask everybody here, seriously, if you're in Ireland, UK, Europe, check out the Dan Patrick show, some fantastic content, pop the amount of time that you've made for us, thanks a million for your time. We massively appreciate it. Hope you enjoy your St. Patrick's Day because you're four hours behind us. So you have more time to have a few scoops, as I call them here. But uh, uh, thanks for you. on,
3: Paul. I love coming to Ireland. I really want to get back there again as soon as I can. Like, I It's so easy, too. Like, If you live on the East Coast, you could take that Wednesday or Thursday night flight and you wake up in Ireland and you get off the, the plane. Um, I may have an open tab at O'Donoghue's, uh, on near Marion Street in, in <laughs> yeah. Dublin that I got to yeah, close, very, yeah. and I, I need to go back to Matt the Tresher, the uh, seafood place, also in Dublin, because that's some good seafood. So there's there's a lot of places I got to get back to. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you, everyone.
0: Yeah, and look, we'll we'll not leave it until the Super Bowl next year. We'll we'll have you on again soon. Thanks for your time, man, and season. All Thanks,
3: time well. here.